Welcome to the awesome pod mix. You are listening to Abby. The idea behind this podcast was to talk about how certain movies and TV shows made me feel when I watched them for the very first time. A reputed filmmaker once said when a piece of art invokes a similar feeling amidst a large audience, it's the triumph of the filmmaker. That's the magic of cinema. I love the magic of cinema. Today I'll be talking about Marvel Studios Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. It's the first movie of phase 5. Despite what Uncle Marty says, all Marvel movies are cinematic. This movie is written by Jeff Loveness and directed by Peyton Reed. It too has a Kevin Feige production credit. Whoever edited the trailer of this film did a great job. It not only piqued my interest, but I was legit worried for Scott Lang's survival. You raised my expectations from this film. The movie opens with Janet Van Dyne when she was in her prime and stuck in the quantum realm. She spots Kang's time ship as it crash lands in the quantum realm. They have a brief encounter where both of them try to save each other. Marvel Studios' title sequence begins. It now includes He Who Remains from Loki. We see Scott Lang's routine over the song Welcome Back Cotter by John Sebastian. Scott's monologuing about how his life doesn't make sense. He reveals he time traveled with Captain America. This seems to be Scott's book reading of Look Out for the Little Guy. Scott and Jimmy will get lunch. Jimmy had promised in Ant-Man and the Wasp that he would be seeing Scott soon. And here they are seeing each other over lunch and showing off their close-up magic tricks. Hope has rebranded Pym Technologies to Pym Van Dyne Foundation and is trying to solve world hunger and housing problems post blip. Like I mentioned, Scott was on a book reading event for his book. He says, "I love you, Cassie. All I want right now is to be your dad." The book read ends with an advice to the kids: "There's always room to grow." Scott receives a call from San Francisco jail about Cassie being locked up. Hope is already there to bail Cassie out. Scott arrives a little later and is concerned about Cassie. Cassie wants to help people. She's slightly disappointed in her dad as he's not helping people as much as she expected him to. Scott, Hope and Cassie are driving back home in the car. They listen to Scott's audiobook. Scott describes how the Hulk turned him into a baby and he wondered if he would be a baby forever or if he was Hulk's baby now. He even mentions about the talking raccoon. It's all a reference to Avengers Endgame. Lang's Pym and Van Dyne's get together for a family meal. Hank enlarges a pizza with Pym Tech, supposedly a reference to Back to the Future 2. Scott wants to keep Cassie safe and not end up in jail like he did. Cassie reminds him how Scott went to Germany to fight Captain America. Scott corrects her saying he didn't fight Captain America. He fought alongside Captain America. He's not an idiot. It's a reference to Captain America Civil War airport battle. Hank introduces everyone to his smart aunt's farm. Cassie studied Hank's old journals to create a quantum satellite for tracking if anyone ever got stuck there again. Scott is immensely proud of Cassie. Janet freaks out when she learns that Cassie is sending a signal down to the quantum realm. She instantly shuts it down, but despite her efforts, it switches on again and sucks them into the quantum realm. The Langs get separated from the Pym Van Dynes. Langs are saved by a group of people who are the freedom fighters of the quantum realm. Gentora is their leader. William Jackson Harper plays Quaz, a telepath. 
David Desmolch and voices Webb who's obsessed with holes because he doesn't have any. The group makes the langs drink the ooze which helps the langs to understand their language. Janet is cautious and guides Hank and Hope to follow her. They go to a friend in the quantum realm to inquire about Scott and Cassie. The bar they visit seems inspired by Star Wars. Bill Murray plays Kryler. Janet had a brief affair with Kryler because she was stuck in the quantum realm for a long time and a girl has needs. Even Hank tried to date a woman named Linda but it didn't work out. This is a reference to Michael Douglas's film Shining Through. He played the character of Ed Leyland and Melanie Griffith played Linda Wass. Hank says it didn't work out because she wasn't Janet. That is so sweet. Kryler's upset because Janet abandoned him and their fight against the Conqueror. Kryler has already shifted his loyalties to the Conqueror. The Vandines fight Kryler and his goons to escape. The gun that Janet uses looks awfully similar to Star-Lord Squad Blasters. The Pym Vandines escape in Kryler's ship. Now Janet reveals about her encounter with Kang. We see a flashback where Janet helped Kang fix his timeship score. Because like any other Kang variant, he promised Janet that he would help her get back home to be with her daughter. I don't trust any of the Kangs. I don't trust that any of the Kangs will keep any of their promises. Janet installs the core into the timeship. It has a neurokinetic link with Kang's consciousness. Janet sees a flash and learns how Kang has and will create havoc and murder trillions. Before Janet can remove and destroy the core, Kang's suit has materialized to give him some power. The suit comes in handy to build his own tower and army. Moldock, mechanized organism designed only for killing, is Darren Cross. He became this way when his suit was destroyed in the first Ant-Man movie and he shrunk disproportionately. Kang helped him become Moldock. It was Darren Cross who tracked Cassie's signal and sucked them into the quantum realm. Modoc attacks Scott and Cassie who seek refuge with the Freedom Fighters. Modoc kidnaps them and brings them to Kang the Conqueror. Scott reveals that it's his fourth time in a jail cell. The first two times were in the first Ant-Man movie and the third time was in the raft in Captain America Civil War. Before we see Kang's face, we see a reflection of him on the floor as he walks towards Scott and Cassie. It appears like Darth Vader in a cape with glowy blue lines over the scars on his face. Scott threatens Kang. You made a big mistake. I'm an Avenger. I've already called the other Avengers for help. Kang replies, You're an Avenger? Have I killed you before? Firstly, if you would have killed him, he wouldn't know that you killed him. You're not the one with the hammer, are you? Scott's reply is, We get confused a lot because of similar body types. Scott, I love you, but come on, that's entirely the opposite. You have a lean physique, Thor's is more muscular. I'll prefer you over him any day. Paul Rudd is ageless. Kang says, they all blend together after a while. Kang, you need to drop this act already. Kang reveals that he knows how it all ends, in a multiversal war. If Scott agrees to help Kang, he would give him more time with his daughter. Scott refuses to help Kang. Even Cassie doesn't want Scott to help Kang, but Kang uses force to first hurt Scott and then Cassie. Kang threatens that if Scott doesn't comply, he would kill his daughter and make him watch over and over again. Just like the time loop in Loki, where Lady Sif slaps, kicks Loki in the nards and punches him over and over again. Kang asks, So, what's it gonna be? 
Ant-Man. So Kang was simply pretending to not know who Scott was. I knew it was all an act. This is why I don't trust Kang or anything he says. He's just manipulating people into doing what he wants. Murdoch explains what needs to be stolen. Scott will know what it is when he sees it. Scott has no idea what's happening. Scott splits into another variant of his. Murdoch explains that it's the probability storm. It's like the Schrodinger's cat in a box. Schrodinger's cat is a thought experiment wherein a hypothetical cat may be considered simultaneously both alive and dead, while it is unobserved in a closed box as a result of its fate being linked to a random subatomic event that may or may not occur. Scott splits into endless variants. All his variants are in the Ant-Man suit except for one who is in a Baskin-Robbins uniform, sporting the name tag Jack. Jack is a reference to Paul Rudd's son as it was in the first Ant-Man movie. In an attempt to get the core, he almost drowns in the sea of Scots. The one thing that I absolutely loved about this sequence is that all of Scott's variants wanted only one thing, to save Cassie. Cassie's voice helps Scott focus on the task and these two things motivate all of Scott's variants to put their best foot forward and save the day. Hope, Janet and Hank are on their way to extract the core. When Hope ventures down toward the core and the probability storm hits her, Janet guides her saying that just focus on what you need to do. The probabilities don't matter. Hope catches Scott's hand in the nick of time and saves him from falling. Together, they extract the core. Though all of this wasn't easy, but by the end of it I was like, that was kind of easy. Kang arrives and takes away the core from Scott. Kang goes back on his promise when he doesn't free Cassie. Scott reminds Kang, we had a deal. Kang replies casually, she would be better off without you. He kidnaps Janet and takes her to his star. There he asks her what she saw when she installed the core onto his timeship. Janet replies, a monster who thinks he's God. Kang justifies his actions by saying, when you see time the way I do, you don't get to close your eyes. Janet questions, and you're the only one who sees? Kang replies, I'm the only one who sees it's broken. Janet asks, and who broke it? Kang says, I did. Every version of me. So Kang broke the multiverse. Timelines were branching way before Sylvie killed He Who Remains. When they crossed the threshold, He Who Remains did not know what was going to happen next. In my opinion, Sylvie did not break the multiverse. Kang did. Kang elaborates. Our variants throughout the multiverse play with time like children, but I saw how it ends. I saw their chaos spreading across realities, universes colliding, endless incursions. I saw the multiverse and it was dying. All because of them. So I took control. Janet is aware that Kang started a war and he wants to wipe out any universe that's a threat to him. That is precisely what monsters do. As per Kang, that's what conquerors do, burning the broken world and making a new one. Janet sees through Kang's bullshit. She knows he doesn't care about anyone. He just wants revenge because he lost to his other variants. Kang's furious. He agrees that he has lost, but Janet has no idea what he's lost. And he will burn them out of time. His master plan is to launch his time ship and take his army to burn his variants out of time. Outside Kang's tower, Scott, Hope and Hank hatch a plan to rescue Cassie and Janet. Hank quotes Scott's book. There's always room to grow. 
Of course, they're going to use growth and misdirection as one of their strategies. Cassie manages to escape Modok and Kang's robots. She goes on to rescue Gentora and then she executes her plan. Kang makes a holographic PA announcement. He says he wants to conquer eternity. Does he know about the entity eternity? Cassie hijacks Kang's PA announcement. She invites all the freedom fighters to join the fight against Kang at the Kang Tower. Kang orders Modok to kill Cassie. Cassie tries to escape Modok's attacks. She grows in size and smashes Modok like Hulk did Loki in the first Avengers movie. Cassie requests Darren to not be a dick and that he can always redeem himself. It's never too late. Web gets shot by Kang's robots and everyone reacts worried. I was the only one in the theater who preempted this dialogue. I have holes? I knew it. Come on, Webb is a blob who's obsessed with holes. When Kang blasts people with energy, is he burning them out of time? Like a liar? Scott grows big and picks up one of the circular podiums from Kang's tower and uses it like Captain America's shield to breach the energy field. Hank has been picking up some frequencies in his comms since the time he landed in the quantum realm. Hank summons his army of advanced smart ants, which is the main reason why Kang is defeated apart from his arrogance. Scott and Cassie share a special moment when both of them are in giant size. Both of them want to eat something citrus which is a reference to the first Ant-Man movie, Captain America Civil War and Avengers Endgame. Janet opens a portal back home. Scott pushes Cassie ahead because he realizes Kang is charging toward him. Scott's protective parenting instincts kick in. Everyone makes it home through the portal except for Scott. Scott and Kang engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat and Kang wipes the floor with Scott. Kang asks, You really thought you could win? Scott replies, I don't have to win. We just both have to lose. Hope arrives in the nick of time to save Scott. They send the core and Kang packing with three of each red and blue pimp particle discs. Scott's so happy that Hope came back for him because he was stuck in the quantum realm twice before. First time in the Ant-Man movie and second time at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Scott is just happy that Hope is there with him. Initially, I was like, was this necessary? But I guess Scott has some unresolved abandonment issues. And this scene was exactly what he needed to heal. Cassie opens a portal with the help of her Quantum Realm satellite rescuing Scott and Hope. Back on Earth, Scott goes through his daily routine again, pondering how his life doesn't make sense. He then goes on to contemplate if killing Kang was the right move on his part. We all know Kang's not dead. He's just stuck in the quantum realm. Dale Scott's previous Baskin-Robbins employer bakes a terrible-looking cake for Cassie. It tastes terrible too. In the beginning of the movie, Dale had awarded Scott as the employee of the century because he saved the universe. I feel Scott should not have revealed that he and the Avengers traveled back in time to save the universe. I prefer the first Ant-Man movie a lot more. I missed Michael Pena. I missed Edgar Wright's writing as well. Mid-credit scene. There's an arena surrounded by various Kang statues. Pharaoh Rama Tut has facial scars like Kang, mended with gold. Something like He Who Remains Citadel was. Coincidence? I think not. 
It's a Japanese art form called Kintsugi. This art form repairs broken pieces by mending it with gold. Pharaoh Ramatat also has robotic arms. Another Kang variant with cybernetic parts on his bald head appears. This is Centurion. Though this Kang variant's costume is similar to that of the Beyonder, Pharaoh Ramatat and Centurion discuss the death of the banished Kang the Conqueror. Ramatat asks, So, the exiled one is dead. Are you sure he is dead? Centurion replies, If it wasn't true, I wouldn't have called you. Centurion is lying his ass off. I believe Kang the Conqueror is not dead. And if he is, how does Centurion know? Ramatat teases, It really must eat you up that you were not the one to kill him. Immortus appears with his giant headpiece and moustache and beard. Ramatat bows down to Immortus but Centurion does not. Immortus says, None of us killed him. They did. They are beginning to touch the multiverse and if we let them, they will take everything we've built. So let's stop wasting time. We see the timelines branching and causing incursions. Immortus says, We are late. Centurion asks, How many did you call? Immortus replies, All of us. We now see a council of Kangs in a Colosseum-like setting. It's insanity how the various variants of Kang appear one by one, using a similar portal like Reed Richards did in Multiverse of Madness. One of the variants appears in a suit. It must be Mr. Griffin from Kang Enterprises. Another variant appeared to be like an alien and another one like a reptilian. The variant with dreadlocks is sporting the same outfit as he who remains. This is a big tease for Avengers Kang Dynasty. post credit scene. We see the introduction of Victor Timely as he makes a presentation about time with an invention in 1901. The banner reads, Victor Timely and his astounding temporal marvel. Is he one of the variants who goes on to become he who remains? Victor Timely says, Time is everything. It shapes our lives, but perhaps we can shape it. Even the way Victor Timely speaks is like he who remains. Loki says, it's him. Mobius responds, you made him sound like he's a terrifying figure. Loki says, he is. This is a tease for Loki season 2. My thoughts were exactly the same as Mobius after watching the movie. I didn't find Kang terrifying. Over the black screen, the text appears. Kang will return. And I will return with the next MCU movie and TV show. Until then, you can listen to the awesome Podmix and subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. If you like what I am doing, you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash awesomepodmix. Thanks for listening.